Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Romans chapter 15, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 13 today. Uh, as our text. So we have come to the penultimate chapter of the book of Romans. And so if you don't know what that word means, you can go Google it. But I was looking the other day at uh, when we started this thing. And it was February of 22 when we started the book of Romans. So over a year, we have been journeying through the book of Romans, and so we still got a few weeks uh, to go before we get to the end. And don't don't forget, once we leave Romans, we're going to go to the Old Testament, uh, either in Deuteronomy or Exodus, and pick up the Ten Commandments from there and do a study through uh, the Ten Commandments. And then I'm thinking that we might go to the Gospel of Luke after uh, we get through with the Ten Commandments, and then we'll see where we go. Uh, from there. So if we get in the Gospel of Luke, if uh, y'all don't fire me first, that'll be at least another couple years. We may take a break maybe midway through the Gospel of Luke just to kind of break it up a little bit because it will be a lengthy a lengthy study. But anyway, that's, that's kind of the roadmap at this moment that I think the Lord has wants us to be on. He may change my mind. If he does, then we'll do something different, right? Romans chapter 15, verses 1 through 13. Hopefully you've made your way there. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise given to the patriarchs. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, sing to your name, and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, which with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come even he who arises 
to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Father, we come to you once again this morning, and we again thank you for this opportunity that you've given us to be in your house, this privilege that we have as American citizens to freely worship you. We thank you, Lord, that you have revealed yourself to us in the person of Christ, but you've also revealed to us yourself in your written word. And we thank you that through the truth of this word that you bring about sanctification in our life. And we're asking this morning as we read through and study through this section of scripture that you will help us to be conformed into the image of Christ, that we will be more like you uh, when we leave this place because of the truth of your word. And as always, Lord, I ask that you use this feeble, insignificant, unworthy vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you will remember, we started this dialogue in chapter 14 of the book of Romans. Paul began in that chapter to make this category distinction about two groups of people, in particular in the church of Rome. They were the strong and the weak. Now, in our text today, Paul identifies himself among the group that is called the strong. Now, the difference between the strong and the weak are on matters of opinion, what theologians call adiaphora, those things that are peripheral, that have no bearing on uh, our salvation. And so they're just matters of opinion. And so Paul, you would think, on the weaker brothers, which are probably in this context, the Jewish believers there, because these matters of opinion, in particular in Romans, had to do with food, what you can and cannot eat, had to do with drink, what you can and cannot drink, and had to do with holy days, whether you esteem these particular days as holy or you esteem all days the same. And so it's probably those Jewish believers who still didn't understand their Christian liberty, that, that Christ had done away with the food laws that uh, in the vision with Peter and when he was talking to the uh, religious leaders in, in the Gospel of Mark. They didn't understand their liberty to eat whatever was set before them. Whereas the Gentile believers, they didn't come from that background. They didn't come from a Jewish background. So they had no problem eating whatever was set before them. And they had no problem esteeming all days as the same. They, they understood their liberty and freedom in Christ. And so you would think that Paul would say too, because in our text today, he says these are the failings of the weak. Well, you'd think that Paul would say, well, you weaker Jewish Christians, y'all need to get on board. Y'all need, need to come up to our level and understand freedom and not worry about those old food laws they've been done away with, right? But no, Paul does something that we don't expect. Paul says to the stronger believer, bear with the failings of the weak. Think of your neighbor more than you think of yourself. And so that's counterintuitive for us, right? Especially those of us who, uh, well, everybody in this room who's Amer an American and live in this country, right? 
Because we say, uh-uh, I got my rights, I got my liberties, I got my freedoms, and we bring that over into the house of God and say, hey, you don't want to eat meat? That's fine. I'm going to eat all the meat I want to eat, right? You're not going to, you know, press down or put down my liberty. But Paul, we're going to learn today, says not only is this a request, this is the obligation that God has placed on the stronger believer to bear under the frailties and the failings of the weak. And so we're going to unpack this passage today uh, by way of three main headings. First, we'll see in verses 1 through 4, Paul's petition for unity. And then secondly, we'll see in verses 2, or excuse me, 5 through 6, Paul's prayer for unity. And then thirdly, we'll see in verses 7 through 13, Paul's command for unity. Unity, And I, I don't think it's ironic that this morning when we were in uh, the Gospel of John in chapter 17, what, what's the primary, one of the primary themes of uh, one of those passages of Scripture had to do with the unity of believers, right? That we would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Unity is a very important part of uh, who we are as the believers uh, in the body of Christ. And Paul is calling us really to unity, even in the midst of our differences of opinion, because it is through our unity that we are make ourselves distinct from those who are in this world by the way that we treat one another, the way that we love one another. So as we continue, as we begin, Paul says in verses one through four, this petition, he calls us to be unified. And he puts the onus on the stronger brother, which he identifies himself as a stronger brother. He says, we who are strong have an obligation. We owe it to uh, the weaker brother to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. And let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And we say, wow, Paul, that came out of left field, right? Oh, why is it our problem that they don't understand their liberty in Christ? Why is it that I have to humble myself and set aside my liberty and bear with their lack of understanding and their immaturity? Isn't that how we think as believers? Why is that my problem? Why, why don't they just come up to my level? Why don't they see the plain writing in the text and understand it and live like the stronger brother? Well, here's the problem. There's not a one of us in this room, there's not a single Christian where we are always at the same place in our sanctification. We're not always at the same place in our understanding, Right? All of us have had to grow. All of us have had to mature. At one time, all of us were the weaker, right? Maybe not related to food or drink, but in some way, all of us had a weak, immature understanding of doctrine and theology and the truth of God's word. And it was because someone came alongside of us, whether through preaching or Sunday school or in a personal relationship, someone came alongside of us and they discipled us in a loving, caring way, understanding our, that we misunderstand the truth, understanding that we have a, a, a level of immaturity in our knowledge, but they bore with those 
failings, if you will, to use Paul's words, and they loved us anyway. And they helped us to become mature through the years. That's what Paul's asking those who are the stronger believers to do, is don't ridicule and put them down. And don't think of yourselves more than you think of them. It is our obligation. We owe it to them to bear under their failings. And listen, this bear under really has to do this idea of, of receiving them and welcoming them to, to take them up and carry them along. You understand the significance of that statement? It's not just that Paul says, you just understand that they're weak people and you know you, you, you live with them and you just deal with that, right? No, it goes beyond that is you be intentional about taking on this weaker brother or sister and you intentionally lift them up to carry them along to maturity in faith. Not beating them over the head about this issue of liberty, but understanding where they are because you used to be there and you walk alongside of them and you lovingly carry them along to bring them to the place that God intends for them to be. And you guess what? Even if they never make it in your lifetime, you still walk with them and carry them along. Listen to what David Guzik says about this. The idea isn't really bearing with, or in other words, dealing with or putting up with, but bearing up the weaker brother, supporting him with your strength, right? And so you take that personal entrance in building a relationship, becoming a discipler, and walking alongside of that person in a loving, caring way. And then the second part is the stronger person is to humble themselves, right? We've already learned in chapter 14 that Paul says, hey, if it causes your brother or sister to sin, if you're eating meat, or you're drinking of the wine, if it causes your brother and your sister to sin in their own conscience, then you ought to abstain. And for us, again, that's, that doesn't sit well with us, is it? does it? Because I want to exercise my freedom. I want to exercise my liberty. Why should I abstain just because they think it's wrong? But Paul says that's our responsibility. Now, that doesn't mean if you're in your own house or whatever that you can do that. But when you're in the presence of this person, Paul goes so far to say that if you cause this person to sin in their own conscience, that you are sinning against Christ. And we've learned through Romans that we ought to think of our neighbor above ourselves. As a matter of fact, how did Paul tell us that we fulfill the royal law, the holy law of God? By loving our neighbor. So we need to esteem our neighbor above even our own desires and even our own freedoms and love them enough to bear under and withhold from ourselves, although rightly deserved, and free to do the liberty that we have. That's how we maintain the unity of the body of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that 
the weaker brother or sister can live in a tyrannical way and demand of us, right, that this is the way Christians ought to live. Paul guards against that as well, right? He says, don't judge one another. Don't look down on one another. We are to bear with one another and not get sidetracked on these trivial issues of opinion. We're to build up the weak. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Well, that's hard to do in a culture that says, you know, when we have songs that say me, my, I, right? I like to talk about me, my, right? Or I, you know, I'm talking about myself because I love myself, right? We need all to love ourselves, right? But we, we have this problem in our society that it's all about me, right? We, we have a two-year-old's mentality, right? A two-year-old, the world revolves around them. Everything is about them. And if it's not, if it goes astray, well, what do they do? Well, they pitch a fit and they start crying, right? And throwing a temper tantrum. Well, sometimes we do that as adults, don't we? We have that same mentality. We might not lay down in the floor and kick our feet. Some of you might. But we might not lay down in the floor and kick our feet in the air and scream and cry. But we have that same mentality. What is Paul saying to us? That's wrong. There's no place for that in the family of faith. Don't do anything out of conceit, but humbly, out of humility, think of others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. So implication in verse 4 in Philippians chapter 2 is we can, we can look to our interests, right? We, we, can, we, can, we can exercise our liberty, but we need to do that in a way that does not demean our neighbor, but also to the interest of others. As a matter of fact, Paul is telling us, really, we ought to look to the interest of others above our own interest. And that doesn't sit well with we who are Americans either, right? We ought to look to the interest of others above our own interest in the family of faith. And so the stronger brother has this obligation or the stronger sister has this obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And Paul does call them failings there in the second part of verse 1, doesn't he? He admits that, hey, they don't understand. They don't have the level of maturity they need as believers. They are failing. They don't understand what happened on the rooftop with Peter when God sent down the, the sheet and said, eat, go kill and eat. And Peter says, I can't do it. That's unclean. And God says to him, don't call unclean what I have made clean or what I call clean. And in that way, God had put aside the food laws. And, and they didn't understand what happened in Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 18 through 19, where Jesus was talking to uh, the religious leaders about things that people eat. And it's not what we put in our body that causes us to be unclean. It's actually what comes out of our heart that demonstrates that we are unclean. And he was saying, and, and Mark gives us commentary on that, and says, by saying this, Jesus ended all the food laws. He called everything clean in essence. They, didn't, they don't understand that. But my responsibility, your responsibility, if we are the stronger brother or the stronger sister, is to come alongside of them, bear under those misunderstandings, their scruples, and to 
hopefully disciple them to the maturity that God intends for them to be. Uh, listen to what Morris says uh, in his treatment of this verse. This does not mean that the church is ruled by the whims of the weak. A genuine concern for the weak will mean an attempt to make them strong by leading them out of their uh, irrational scruples so that they too can be strong. But we do that by bearing them up, carrying them along, loving them, caring for them, not in a condescending, holier-than-thou kind of attitude. And now he gives us the means by which we're going to be able to do this in verses 3 through 4. First, he gives us the example of Christ in verse 3. He says, look, this is the reason, the little word for that's there in the English, uh, your English translation, for Christ did not please himself. So Paul has called us not to please ourselves, but to please our neighbor for his edification. Christ didn't please himself. He humbled himself. He stepped out of glory and he stepped into humanity and he came to do what you and I could not do. Guess what? He gave himself for all of us who were weak spiritually because every one of us were weak, weak wretched, rebellious sinners. And Christ the creator of this universe humbled himself and bore with our sinfulness and not only bore with it, but he bore it on the cross of Calvary for you and for me. So if Christ could do that for you, stronger brother, then you ought to be able to bear under the, the failings or the scruple or the opinion of your weaker brother and sister in Christ. Look what he says, uh, quoting from the Old Testament, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For what? And we could preach a whole sermon on verse four, okay? In light of the culture that we live in, in today. Listen, listen to what he says in verse four. For what was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through encouragement of the scripture, we might have hope. So what has Paul done? He's given us two means to help us know how to bear under the failings of the weak. One is to follow the example of Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and became human and walked among all of us weak wretches. And he bore on, in himself our failings. Did he not? That's exactly what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. So we ought to be able to do that, especially for our brother and sister in Christ. There's no time in this passage that Paul says that these weaker uh, people are not brothers and sisters in Christ. His assumption is that they are brothers and sisters in Christ, although immature in their understanding of God's word and the liberty they have. And if Christ can bear with us, then we ought to be able to bear with them. And then secondly, he says, Scripture has given us instruction. Scripture has given us encouragement. Scripture has given us the ability to be, have endurance in these things. It is all from the truth of Scripture that we know how to disciple and bear under these failings. So when someone like Andy Stanley tells you that we ought to unhitch from 
everything that was written in former days, you need to run from people like that, right? Because what does the Bible tell us? That those words that were written were written for a purpose, and that purpose is to instruct us, to, be, to give us encouragement, and to help us endure in our Christian faith. We need the truth of God's word. It is the means by which, as we learned in Sunday school, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, the truth of God's word. So we need to be students of the word so we can help other people understand God's word. We can become those disciplers. So we are to follow the example of Jesus Christ, and we are to use the scripture uh, to help us in that. And so... We won't belabor this aspect of, uh, of the Scripture uh, that's there, but Paul hits this idea of the Scripture very, very hard in, uh, his under, in his helping us understand how important the Scripture is for us to be able to do what he's called us uh, to do. It educates us, it empowers us, and it gives us encouragement. You and I ought to be students of the Word every single day of our life. So that leads us to point number two, Paul's prayer for unity. And so he, he gives this, it's a unique, uh, not, not to bore your grammar, but it's a unique verb tense that uh, or mood that this is in. It's in the optative mood. I know you're blessed to hear that. Um, but it's used very rarely in the New Testament. And it, and it kind of has the idea of the subjunctive mood, which is the mood of possibility. So what, when Paul says, as the English translation translates it, and it says, may God, Paul is saying there is this idea that it might not happen in your life, in my life, because we don't do what God has called us to do. We can sin and rebel in that sense. So this is his genuine prayer for believers, that God would grant them the ability to do this. And listen to how he frames this. He, he, he identifies God as the God of encouragement and endurance or endurance and encouragement. Well, where do we just hear those two words as it relates to the scripture of God? How do we know he's the God of endurance and encouragement? Because he's revealed himself to us in his word. And so it is that God who has revealed himself in his written word and in the living word, Jesus Christ, encapsulating both of those examples in the previous section, that is the one who can help us live in this harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Just like God the Father and God the Son are in harmony, as we learned again in Sunday school, Paul is saying God can help you and I live in such harmony as the body of Jesus Christ so that we would together with one voice, quite literally, one passion and one tongue or one voice that we would glorify uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this plea in uh, the first part that we would be of the same mind is what Paul is really calling for us to be in, in this idea of harmony. We'd have the same mind, not that we all think alike in every aspect, right? Because obviously that's not the case in the Roman church. It's not the case in most churches. But we will be unified in our focus of thought. 
in spite of our differences of opinion. That's what Paul is calling us to. Listen to what he says in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you were called. We could stop there and camp out there for a minute, right? But I, I will refrain from doing so. Just soak that sentence in and think about that today. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. It almost sounds like the same person wrote Ephesians that wrote Romans, doesn't it? Well, that's because he did. And he's telling the Ephesian believers the same thing he's telling the Roman believers. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How important do you think Paul sees the unity of the body of Christ? It is very important. It is on the front of his mind because he knows how you are and me. He knows how we are, right, as human beings. And Paul is encouraging us, praying for us, and he's going to command us in a moment to maintain unity. Now, we're not going to argue about food most of the time, right? You can look at most of us and say, no, they don't argue about food. They pretty much eat whatever they want to eat. Now, I got it. There's some skinny folks out there, bless your heart. But <laughs> most of us don't quibble over food. But we're going to quibble over stupid things, right? Over opinions, right? Here's how it happens in most Baptist churches. Uh, over the carpet color, over the pew color, over the color on the wall, over the picture that Aunt Susie put on the wall when she dedicated it to the church, right? Those kinds of things. I get it. We, 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 tradition is important and those kinds of things. But none of those things have a bearing on the main thing, which is the focus of our, that our passion ought to be about. And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many times have we heard of churches splitting over opinions about things that really don't matter? All the time, right? A lot of Baptist churches get started because somebody got mad at somebody because they didn't like what color or, or they moved, you know, the piano or something, right? And they go down the road and they start another church. Paul says that is sinful. If we argue over those things, we are in opposition to what the Bible is teaching us to be. And that is unified in one mind, in one passion, and one voice for one reason. To bring glory and honor to God. That's what we're here to do. Right? And that's what Paul is praying for. To happen among these believers and by extension, his prayer for all believers is that we would be unified in one purpose, right? And then he gives us the person of this unity. Who is the person that brings about this unity? Well, it is God who brings it. He's the God of encouragement and empowerment. It is the Holy Spirit that brings about this unity in our life. He's the one through the truth of God's word that sanctifies us and brings us into union with God and Christ, right? It is in that relationship and through the work of God in our lives that we can be unified. As a matter of fact, the only way human beings can ever be unified together is in Christ. 
Outside of Christ, all you have to do is look in this world and you'll see that we cannot be unified apart from Christ. And even Paul knows in this prayer that sometimes it is a very difficult thing for us to be unified, although we are all in Christ. Because all too often, we are selfish people who worry about stupid things, right? That don't matter. And Paul's saying is, my prayer is that you will have one passion and one voice and that passion and voice will be about glorifying Almighty God. And that's the ultimate purpose of this passion and this unity. Is that we glorify God. That is the purpose of our life. And again, no matter what you do in your life, that is your purpose, to bring God, glory and honor to God. I don't care if it's putting a bumper on a on the truck, you know, or painting it in the paint booth, right? Or if it's dumping a load of dirt out, right? Or whatever it is, right? If it's, if it's teaching in school, or if it's, you know, working at a, we don't work at service stations like we used to, but if it's working at a convenience store, right? Whatever it is, your purpose as a believer in Christ is to bring glory and honor to God. That's our single purpose in life. And we do that by the way we live our lives. All right, last point, we'll be out of here. Paul's command for unity. Now, Paul has given us this exhortation. He's called us to unity as the stronger and the weaker. He's prayed for us to be unified. And now he gives us the imperative. He commands us, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And he goes all the way back to uh, where we started in, verse four, in chapter 14, right? Welcoming or receiving that pros lombano, right? Uh, lombano to receive and process to, and to or toward to receive to yourself. So you see how it ties in with this idea of bearing under? It's, it's not just, okay, I'm just going to put up with their weak idiocy, okay? I'm just going to put up with it. I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. No. Paul says to grab hold of them and bring them to yourself. That's intentional, relational, right? That's what Paul's calling us to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. Intentionally build relationships with those who think differently than we do in the body of Christ and, and carry them along. You can't do that with a sour attitude, can you? No. We do that with the love of Christ in our life and in our heart. And man, if we will do that, then how hard would it be to be unified on a single purpose? And that's what Paul is telling us. That is his command to us that we will receive just like Christ received you. If Christ can receive you, then you can receive a weaker brother or sister. There's no question about it. Then he tells us in verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promise of the patriarchs. 
listen, Paul is about to tie all this together and put a real nice bow on it. You remember we started this by saying the stronger is probably the Gentile believer who understands their liberty to eat and do whatever. And drink, you know, and, and have uh, all days esteemed the same as opposed to the Jewish believer who is still uncomfortable eating certain kinds of meat, certain kinds of food, and uncomfortable not gathering together on the Sabbath day, on Saturday, while we're gathering on Sunday. And so he, he ties all this together. He says, listen, Christ has come to unify both Jew and Gentile. Isn't that how he started the book? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God to salvation for those who believe, for the Jew first and also for the Greek or for the Gentile. Listen to what he says. Christ became a servant to the circumcised. Who are the circumcised? They are the Jews. And how did he do, why did he do this? In order to confirm what the promises were given to the patriarchs. Well, who are the patriarchs? Well, at a minimum, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? That's how we read about them in the Old Testament. So again, what is, the, what is Paul doing? He's pointing us back to this old, antiquated book that has no relevance to today, right? No. He's saying that what happened in the past that God wrote about was important. It's the very reason that Jesus came in his present day is to validate what God said to the patriarchs. And we know what he's talking about. You remember over there in Romans chapter 5 or 4, in Romans chapter 4, he talked about Abraham and the promise that God made to Abraham. Well, Abraham was a Jew, right? Because God deemed him to be so. And God made a promise to the Jews through Abraham. But guess what God did through Abraham as well? He made a promise to the Gentiles. What did he say to Abraham that you're going to be the father of many nations and that all nations will be blessed in you? Look at the second part of this, uh, these two verses. Look in verse 9. And not only the Jews, in order, this is why Christ became a servant, <coughs> in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. What is he saying? Listen. You Jew and you Gentile, you stronger and you weaker, Christ came for both of you. And if Christ came for both of you, you ought to love each other because both of you had to come the same way. All of us were counted guilty before holy, righteous God. And then we, we won't belabor the passages, but he gives one, two, three, four passages from, guess what, Andy? The Old Testament to validate that Christ came also for the Gentiles. So God has been consistent throughout history. And he's calling us to be unified in mind and in purpose, just like God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have been unified in mind and purpose for redemptive history. And then verse 13, he rounds this out. May the God of hope. Now, don't miss this. A minute ago, we read that he was the God of encouragement, right? And the God of endurance. 
who see strengthens us to endure and he encourages us along the way. And now we see he's not only those, he's the God of hope. And look what he says, this is powerful. May the God of hope fill you with all joy, not just a little bit of joy, not, not just a, you know, a smattering or a sprinkling of joy, but with all joy. What was Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 this morning, if you were in Sunday school? One aspect was that we would be complete in his joy. It's the God of joy, and that's the only place we can find joy. It's the only place we can find true joy is in Christ Jesus. Even in the midst of difficulty and persecution and tribulation, we can be people of joy because we serve the God of hope who fills us with all joy. And don't miss the word feel there. The word, the word feel there really has to do with this idea of cramming us full, stuffing us you know, as the commercial says, I'm showing my age now, uh, fill it to the rim with brim, right? Or the song that talks about my, my cup's running over, my saucer is full, right? It's the idea of, of overstuffing us. That's God's intention for this joy, is that he fills us to the max, that we're almost exploding with the joy of the Lord. Which says to me, there are a lot of Christians who have not experienced this. Because we walk around like a bunch of sour pusses, don't we? Amen. We ought to be, Miss Martha, people who are joyful and happy because God has redeemed us. And he's filled us with the Holy Spirit. And that, that, I get it. Life is tough, right? If you've lived, you know, any length of time, you know life is tough. But for the believer, even in the midst of the difficulty, we can find joy in Christ, no matter the circumstances. And that's what God wants to do for you, to stuff you full of joy. Not only that, don't miss the next word, peace, right? That arene, that, that peace. He wants to stuff you with peace. We also learn in the Gospel of John in Sunday school, but Jesus, what did he do? He left us his peace. He gave us his peace. He is the prince of peace. And we can have a peace that passes all understanding. So when the storm is raging, when, when life is caving in around you, and people see you as a believer in Christ, you, because of your hope, because you're full of joy, because you're full of the peace of God, you can live in the face of turmoil with a peace that passes understanding. And it'll make people scratch their head and say, how can these people live like this in what they're facing? And you know what that does for us? That gives us the perfect opportunity to share the reason for the hope that lies within us that baffles the minds of the world. And that's what God has called us to do. And he finishes out that phrase, so that by the power. What's the power of all of this? Where does it come from? It comes from the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells you as a believer. The same 
person of the Holy Spirit who when Paul uh, or when the disciples were in the upper room, the, the Lord says, listen, I'm going to send the promise. And when the promise came, the Holy Spirit indwelled them and they began to change the world because of the power of the Holy Spirit within them. It's the same Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1-8. The Bible says when he comes into you, you will receive power and you will be. Not that you might be, not that you should be, but that you will be my witnesses, right? In all of the world. That's the same Holy Spirit that you have today. If you're a believer in Christ that has changed your life and redeemed you so that no matter what you face, the same, the same power that, that we read about maybe Wednesday night or, or Wednesday night before that parted the Red Sea. That same one indwells you, right? That's who lives in us. That's where we get the power to maintain the unity of the faith. Because every believer has the same Holy Spirit. Right? Many gifts, many abilities, many talents, but one spirit that indwells all of us and gives us that power. So, I don't know what the Lord may have spoken to you about in this today. Maybe you consider yourself to be among the stronger brother or sister, right? And you understand your Christian liberty and your freedom, but... You use it in such a way that you ridicule and look down on and put down those that you consider weaker. But if that's you, Paul says, repent, because that's the wrong attitude. Maybe today, maybe you are one of those weaker brothers and sisters. Maybe you don't even realize that, but you have these scruples and these opinions, but you use them in a legalistic way as a, as a bully whip to try to get Christians into shape and try to make them conform into your mold and idea based on your opinions and your scruples. If that's you, Paul says, repent, because that's the wrong attitude. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer at all and you don't understand anything about this joy and this hope and this peace. For you, you know what Paul would say? Repent. And throw yourself on the mercy of Jesus Christ because he can change that in you. He can change you. He can redeem you. He is the only hope for you. So whatever it is that God has spoken to you today about, let us determine today, right now in this room, every person who's sitting in here who has any concern about this place we call Friendship Baptist Church, that we will follow God's word and we will go out of our way to main the unity. Now, I'm not saying that because we have problems. As far as I know, there's not. But I'm saying, let us be resolved to never let there be. Right? Because that's what God's word's called us to do. is to be unified in mind and purpose. And that takes intentional effort for us to do. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this time you've given us in your word, this opportunity we've had to 
to share your word. And I pray, Lord, that you will start with the preacher on down to help us to conform to the truth that is in this word, Father God. And may your word, as you say in the prophets, never come back void. May it always accomplish that which you send it out to do. And this morning, you have your will and your way with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.